Psalms 150, which is actually the last Psalms, if you didn't know that. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, thank you, Rachel, and uh, I hope you stay in the Bible, stay in your psalm as we work through this, because we're going to dig into this pretty deeply, I think, and so here's what I want to try to do. I'm going to introduce this for you. Uh, we, are, we are in a mini-series called Immovable, and what we're trying to discover, what we're learning, and it's a journey, is how do you become immovable in your faith? So that when storms in life blow into your life, upheavals, the ground begins to shake, what the Bible calls a trial. When that begins to happen in your life, how do you stay faithful? How does your faith survive? How does your confidence in God remain? And that's really what we're going to be learning today. And so I want to give you a little bit of a warning because two weeks ago when we started this series, do you remember we were in Psalm 67? Everybody kind of go back into your memory for a moment. And I made a statement in Psalm 67 that there is nothing negative happening in Psalm 67. There's no trial happening in Psalm 67. There's no storm in life happening in Israel when Psalm 67 was written. And I made the statement that the best time to learn to become immovable in your faith is before the storms hit. When you got time to really deeply anchor yourself in who God is, when you can breathe. Well, guess what? In Psalm 150, you just heard it as Rachel read it to you. There's absolutely nothing negative. In fact, every syllable of the psalm is positive. Everything is about praise. And again, we're reminded that the best time to learn when we could be or how we could become immovable in our faith is now. If there's not a trial blowing in your life, this is a perfect time to really begin to learn this. Now, here's the truth. You ready? There are going to be times when your seas of life will calm down, where there are not waves tossing you to and fro, where there is not the wind blowing you around, and you can breathe again, and you can rest from difficulties. Now, I want you to hear this. The wind is going to pick up again. The waves are going to get higher. You will be back in a storm at some point. And when they do, what will happen to your faith? What will happen to your confidence and God when that happens. You see, learning to live a life of praise is one of the best ways, surest ways of becoming immovable in your faith. And I want to hear that. I want you to hear that. I'm going to say it again. Everybody really anchor this statement into your mind. If you want to become immovable in your faith and your confidence in God, one of the best ways you will ever accomplish that is to learn to live a life 
of praise. And Psalm 150 is going to teach us just that. It's the final song in Israel's hymn book. You know, all of these psalms were songs. They were sung together, either individually or even in the collection of the congregation. And look, there's only six verses. Everybody look at your psalm. I'm going to actually give you about 30 seconds while I talk meaninglessly. I want you to count how many times is the command to praise God in these six verses. Now, you count them up. I'm going to keep talking. Just come back in when you get the number. The song is going to teach us how to answer four different questions. Here they are. Where should we praise God? What should we praise him for? How should we praise God? And who should praise God? I mean, the, the psalmist just teed this up for the preacher. It's very simple, very clear. We're going to answer all four of those questions. And you've already noticed it's 13 times we are commanded to praise God in these six verses. And since we're about to learn how to live a life of praise, well, don't you think then, friends, that we should learn to even understand what the word praise means? There's a lot of different words for praise in the Bible. This one is called halal in the, in the Hebrew language. By the way, you're going to know that because it forms the root word for our word, hallelujah. So when you see these 13 times that the word praise occurs, think in your mind, hallelujah. And here's what the word means here. And this is so awesome. I absolutely love this. This is the best part of the message. After this, you could just leave. This is such a good part of the message because the word here means to shine. And you're thinking, well, that's really underwhelming. You just built it up. That was all you've got? Well, think in your mind, you're in New York City, and you're at Broadway, and the amphitheater, the auditorium, it is dark when all of a sudden an actor comes onto stage, and the balcony spotlights click on, and that the only thing illuminated, like there's a ring of nimbus glow around that actor, is that particular person. Meaning that all the eyes there snap to the actor. Because the light led you there. Now with that imagination, think about it. Now to praise God is to get your eyes and the eyes of all who hear you praise him focused on God alone. Not focused on you, not focused on your circumstances, but focused on God. Now listen, here's what the word even continues to mean. It means to shine, to light up. But it also means to commend, it means to boast, it means to brag. This is what this word means. It means to praise, to light up God. And there's some who, and you've heard this, by the way, I've heard it a lot. There's some who say of God who demands to be praised, why is he such a narcissist? And they mock him for it. Well, I'm going to try to answer that for you, and in order to do that, I've got to take you deep, okay? So we've got to now think. I know you don't come to church to think, but now you've got to think, and we've got to think together. So let's go down deep, all right? We're going to answer that, that accusation. Is God a divine narcissist demanding praise? See, here's what praise is. Now, listen, let's think. Everybody, grab down deep into your heart and pull yourself down there. Praise is the impulse of your inner being 
to acknowledge that something or someone is greater than you. Praise is the impulse of your inner being to acknowledge that someone or something is greater than you, beyond you. Think if you're on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Think that you're in the waiting or the delivery room and your baby is born. Something stirs in you. Something all the way to the deepest part of you begins moving, and it begins coming to the surface, and it comes out either in tears or words or song or physical leaping and joy. Something is moving. It starts deep down in you. You've seen or you've been exposed to something or someone greater than you, beyond you, and it moves and it demands to be acknowledged. Now listen, it demands to be acknowledged to what is greater than you. This is what praise is. We're built for this. We are designed for this. You see, the atheist, the atheist denies that God exists. The atheist will not praise God, but listen, the atheist does praise something all the time. Because the atheist is designed with a creation design to have an impulse that moves when in the presence of someone greater or something greater than them, and it needs to move towards that which is greater. Now, I haven't even finished yet what's deeply going on in us. You ready? I'm going to close the loop on this. Here's what I just said. That praise is our design and it's the movement from deep within our soul that acknowledges that someone or something is greater than us. Now, here's the, the loop closing. You ready? And until that boasting, until that acknowledgement, until the light shines, until we brag, until we commend on God, who is infinitely greater than us, your soul will never yet be satisfied. It could not quite reach the target, and it rebounds to you on dissatisfaction. You see, the atheist, friends, can never live a fully satisfied life because their praise cannot reach their creator. The redeemed, however, can. You see, the Christian that learns to praise God reflexively, automatically. Let me give you some examples. If you've lost your watch and you're on your way to work and there it was all the time in the compartment of your car, what does your heart erupt in? Does it erupt in, thank you, God. Thank you for showing me where that was. If you're driving and you take a wrong turn and you've got a sales call or you've got an important meeting that you can't be late to and somehow God finds a way or somehow you find a way to get to work on time. You don't know how it happened, but you got there on time and you're able to get to the meeting or the sales appointment on time. Does something erupt all the way down inside your soul that demands to be acknowledged? God, thank you. Thank you for being even over that wrong turn, providentially, sovereignly in control over that. 
You see, until we learn to live a life of praise reflexively, automatically, like you breathe, none of us really have to think, unless you're really sick, that you've got to take a breath in, you've got to exhale. It's an automatic, subconscious action of your body. Until praise becomes there, it becomes like that, you cannot live a satisfactory life, and you will not be immovable in your faith. And it's a journey to get there, and we're going to learn how to do that. Now, here's the good news and maybe the bad news. That was all introduction. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, we'll be here till Garlic Fest next week. Here we go. We're going to get rolling. We're going to get, answer these four questions. Number one, where should we praise God? Now, look at verse 1 of Psalm 50, 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. All right, now we're three words into the psalmist when we get to a name for God. And what's about, what's in a name? I mean, I got to take you back to Shakespeare, to your English class, all right, to Romeo and Juliet, act two, scene two, where Juliet is not allowed to associate with Romeo. You remember the story. Why? Why could Juliet not associate with Romeo? It's because he came from the Montague family. And Juliet's family, they were enemies. They weren't allowed to court. They weren't allowed to love. So they developed a secret love that could never come out in the public. And she uttered to Romeo this famous line. You've heard it. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What's in a name? Well, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and how the Bible answers that. Three words into Psalm 150. When you get to the Lord, a lot's in the name. So look at your Bibles. You see it's all small caps. You won't see this in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word Lord is never in all small caps. It's the Greek word there, kyrios, of which a famous song was written in the 80s. Here in the Hebrew, it's in all small caps often, and when it is over 6,000 times, it's the name Yahweh. Now, let me show you something about poetry. Psalm 150 is a song. It's poetic. And when they write poetry in the Bible, they often abbreviate God's name. So it's not Yahweh, three words in, it's Yah. It's the abbreviation of Yahweh. It's the same name. What is the name Yahweh? Here it is. It's the most amazing name that God's given us. It's the most amazing name he's given to us. And it gets better. It's the name that he has only given to his people. None of the nations outside of Israel had access to God through this name. It was a password. It was a password that when you double-click on it in worship, you come into the promises of God that will never change. He is unchanging. He is infinite. He is loving. He has promises for you that he cannot break, will not break, will never be broken. It's the covenant-keeping, self-existent God. This is Yahweh. And it's an amazing name. And it elicits praise already three words in when we get to Yahweh. It's his personal name. Praise the Lord. And then we can begin answering the first question. Where should we praise God? And the psalmist says, praise God in his sanctuary. 
Where is his sanctuary? Well, it is wherever God is. It is wherever God is. Do you know what happened in Israel when they would set up camp? This seems so bizarre to us, but God specifically told them that when you are set up in your camp and you need to go to the bathroom, I'm going to be a little more explicit, number two, that's what the Bible's telling us, take a shovel with you and dig a hole and bury it and cover it back over with dirt. You know why God said that? He gives a reason. He says, because I, Yahweh, walk up and down and through your camp. I am in your midst. Wow. Right now, God's here. Right now, God knows your secret sins. He knows my secret sins. Right now, you feel a little conviction because they're being exposed in the sight of God. Right now, he knows your hurts. Right now, he knows your joys. Right now, he knows where you lack confidence. Right now, he knows where your life has an upheaval. Right now, God knows everything. Why? Because you are always in his presence. 1 Corinthians 6, your body, Christian, is a temple for God, for the Holy Spirit. So he is with you every moment, every single day. So praise God in the sanctuary means this. There is no shortage of opportunity to praise him. Now listen, because praise is triggered by his presence. Praise is triggered by his presence. Therefore, there's always an opportunity to praise God, yet the psalmist goes on in the end of verse 1, praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, let me get you the mind of a Jewish person. Note the plural. It's not praise him in the heaven, but the heavens. It's plural. Why? Because the Jewish mind looked at heaven as being three locations. One, what you're going to see abundantly today is that blue sky that is so beautiful. Number two, you're going to see tonight with that waning full moon, and you're going to see the stars coming out should the clouds part, and you're going to see the second heaven. But to the Jewish mind, there's a third one, and the third one is where the temple of God was, where he sat on his throne. So praise God in his mighty heavens means praise him everywhere you are because he is sitting on his throne of your life. He's always ruling. He's always sovereign. He's always in command. Everything that comes to the life of a Christian comes through the divine permission of God. And no voice should be louder in praise than the one who's been redeemed. Psalm 107, verse 2, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. Now, there's something really awesome about Psalm 107. Parents, you're going to love this. Parents of young children, you better learn this. Psalm 107 has four distinct times that somebody walked away from God towards their destruction, and God went after them and brought them back. He redeemed them. 
Psalm 107 is one of the clearest songs of redemption in the entire Bible. You need to learn it. Has the Lord redeemed you? Has he pursued you and brought you back? Then speak out. Tell everybody how he has redeemed you. Praise God. Boast about him. Commend him. Brag about him. Shine the light on him. So where are we to praise God? Literally everywhere, because his presence is always with you, and he is always on his throne, and it moves us to the second question. What should we praise God for? What should we praise him for? Well, look at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. There's two answers to it. But before we even get to that, let's ask a question. Let's get thinking about this. Now, Christian, look at me for a moment. You won't have to look long, but just think with me for a moment. Are you learning? Are you learning to live a life of praise reflexively? Last weekend, after the Saturday night service, one of the ladies in our church went home, got up early the next morning to go to work, tripped and fell and landed on her head, sent me a text before the service Sunday morning and said, I'm on my way to the ER. I fell. I have a concussion, I believe. But praise God, he is so faithful to me. She was out of work all week, hobbled her way to to church last night, praising God all the way. Why? Because God is present everywhere. God is on the throne always, and even in terrible times, he is displaying his mighty deeds. That's a life of praise. And when anything good happens, are you returning it to the Lord by boasting of him? And when he allows you to experience hardship or trials or an upheaval, are you praising God for allowing it for your good? See, friends, listen, this is the best thing I'm going to tell you in this entire message. Praising God can be as automatic as breathing. How many of you have praised God already this morning? How many of you, though, praised God before your feet got even out of bed? Do you know why you could praise God before you get out of bed? Do you know what happened last night when you you slept? God didn't. He He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watched over you the whole night. Do you know that? He watched over you, the Bible says, the whole night. And in that need that we have to sleep, we show our finite weaknesses, but God, never sleeping, shows his infinite power, his infinite strength, his infinite greatness. Therefore, in our hearts, before we even get out of bed, we can praise God, thank you for watching over me. Thank you for giving me your full attention. Thank you for guarding me. Thank you for being with me even while I slept. You see, praising God can become an automatic response in big events and little events, and that's how the redeemed should live. Now think about this for a moment. And if you're an Eagles fan, this is literally impossible for you. But think of a really good athlete. I had to say that they're playing the Cowboys, my beloved team, God's team, by the way. They're playing the Cowboys soon. I think it's this, is it this weekend? Monday. Oh, I can't wait. 
to get on Facebook Monday night late. Actually, that usually boomerangs on me. But listen, I want you to think of the greatest athlete you've ever seen. I want you to think of the greatest celebrity, the greatest actor, the greatest musician. And we now have an abbreviated term for them, right? The GOAT, the greatest of all times. And I want you to think about what happens in you when you hear that that musician sing, or you watch them play the instrument, or you see them act in a movie, or you watch them on a ball field. There is something in you. Listen, you know you do this. There is something in you that moves and wants to give credit, wants to say something good about that person, wants to praise that person. It's wired into you. Because when you witness someone who displays greatness, you want, I want, to exalt that person and to brag about that person. But you see, not only do we see the infinite God do mighty deeds, and there's a never-ending supply of opportunity to praise him, to exalt and to brag about him, look what else the psalmist says. We see him in his excellent greatness. Now, the word excellent does not mean what you think it means. Right? Because normally when we see this word, we're thinking that it means outstanding. Here it means abundance. It means abundance. And you might be thinking right now, well, Pastor Tim, I don't really understand that, the difference. Let me make it very clear to you. We might say that was an excellent apple that I just ate, and that's not the way this word is used. It's used this way. We had an excellent apple harvest full of fruit. Abundant in number. In other words, God displays his greatness so abundantly, so numerously, his superior, superiority over all beings, we have no shortage of opportunities to boast of him because he's constantly exerting his power in mighty works, and every work of God displays the perfection of his greatness. You see, praise is the reaction of wonder and awe when you see the worth of another person. And when you see the worth of God, it just increases. Now, let me give you an example. You ready? You go to an auction, and you see a restored classic car roll out. And the auctioneer may begin at 25000 and then the bids start coming in, and they're flying in, and it climbs to twenty. Eight and to 35, and it keeps climbing higher and higher. It gets to 230,000, and everybody is uttering and gasping, and everybody is in exaltation until finally he pounds the gavel. It is sold at 230,000 to the highest bidder. Friends, that's the journey of praise because tomorrow your eyes will see God's greatness better and more clear than it did yesterday. And as your eyes see God at work, and as your eyes of your heart begin to appreciate his greatness, your praise will increase like the bids at that auction, and you will praise God. You will brag on God because every act of God displays his perfect character. So ask yourself again, do I praise God throughout the day? If you do well on a test... 
at school. Praise God. He helped you do that. You didn't do that on your own merit. God gave you the ability to think. God gave you the ability to take that test. He could take it away. He gave it to, to Daniel in Babylon, and Daniel gained the favor of the king. If you get a promotion at work, praise God. It's not because you did so well that you gained your own promotion. Listen, that's the favor of God. He is blessing you, and the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. If you narrowly avoid a car accident, praise God, he's preserving you, he's helping you, he's watching over you. If you have a day of struggle where it seems like everything is going wrong, praise God, you know what he's doing? He's refining you, and that who you are going to be tomorrow will be more beautiful in his eyes than who you were yesterday. All of these he does because of the numerous perfections of his character, and they are on display to you. Yet we're led to another question. How do we praise God? And this is where it gets a little more fun. How do we praise God? Verse 3. Praise him with trumpet sound, with lute and harp, tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe, with sounding cymbals, with loud clashing cymbals. You know, I was writing this message, and I thought, you know, I am... Listen, I'll put it this way. I'm going to make a wager with you, and I'm not even really a betting pastor, but I'm going to make a wager with you. And if you want to take me up on this, come see me at some point soon, and we'll shake on it. I will bet you that when we are all in heaven, those who are the redeemed, and that worship gets loud, there's going to be somebody that looks back at whoever's running the divine soundboard with an angry scowl on their face. I just absolutely guarantee it. And I'll even double the bet. That soundboard engineer, whether it's an angel or a being, is going to look back with such a beatific look of grace. That's just the way it's going to be in heaven. Because it's going to be loud. How do I know that? Look what it says at the end of verse 5. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. It's going to be loud. It's going to be full. There's going to be all kinds of instruments. And that's what we have here. It's like the grand finale of a fireworks show, verses 3 through 5. There are trumpets, and the priests are blowing them. They are the ram's horns called the shofars. They're capable of three different notes, and the blast carries for miles. There are lutes. Do you know what a lute is? It is a long-necked acoustic guitar with a sound chamber. And yes, they had them way back in Israel's history. And then there's harps. Don't think of the orchestral harps that are taller than I am. Think of little portable stringed instruments. Think of tambourines that are like maracas. They are handshakers. The women would play them when they danced. And yes, there was dancing. And this kind of dancing was skipping and turning and twisting and whirling. It's very similar to modern folk music dancing. And they used small, clear sounding cymbals. And then they had larger, louder crashing cymbals. And some of them were vertical when they hit them. And some of them were horizontal when they hit them. And they had even more string instruments with pipes. You know what they were? These pipes were like a clarinet, except there were two pipes joined together, two mouthpieces, two reeds. Those were the pipes. And the intent was to stir up the joy of praise. And this is what David says. 
says, he commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals. Why? To raise sounds of joy. Do you understand what's happening? All of these instruments have a purpose to stir up your joy so that you will praise your God. And God likes to be praised in a whole lot of different ways. He doesn't like just one instrument. He likes all different instruments. And as they are played skillfully by those who play them, and they're played loudly, God's pleased, and the congregation's joy rises, and they praise and brag and commend and spotlight their God. But there was an instrument missing. Did you catch it? You don't see it until the final verse. And it answers the final question, who should praise God? Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So all of those instruments listed, verses 3 through 5, the most important one was missing, and that's the voice. Do you know what's going to happen in heaven? You will look around at this great throng of worshipers and you will never ever find a person not singing you will not and i would encourage you that when we gather to worship our god in song sing let your hearts come into sync with your lips and sing to our great God. Don't just stand there unsinging. Even if you don't like your voice, and sing a little quieter. That's what I do. I aim it away from other people. But sing and let your voice come out in praise because listen, look what it says in verse 6. Let everything... Well, you're not looking at verse 6. You're looking at me. Look at verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know what that means? It means the birds that are waking you up with their tweeting at 5.30 in the morning, you know what they're doing? They're praising God. That's what they're doing because they're living according to the design of their creator. And when Christians and the redeemed live according to the design of our redeemer, we are praising and boasting and commending and spotlighting our God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. There should be no Christian that does not praise God all day throughout the day. Why? He's your creator. And he's displaying himself in his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. And his presence is with us all day throughout the day, even at night when we are sleeping. There is no shortage of opportunity for an impulse to arise within you and to rise to God in awe and wonder and express towards God, giving you a feedback loop of a supreme satisfaction and life. Therefore, you can praise God with everything at your disposal. And when you do and you join with it your voice, you will be the redeemed who know how to praise their God. And you will sing the doxology that we're all familiar with. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above all, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All right, now I'm closing in probably 47.8 seconds. So listen very, very closely as I do. Christian brother and sister, please hear me. Storms are coming. Trials are coming. You're either in a trial or a storm of life now, or you recently came out of one, but I'm going to guarantee you in this life under this sun, another one's coming your way. And it will arrive when you do not expect it. How will your faith become immovable? You'll learn to praise your God all day and every day. You will have an immovable faith and confidence in him. It will not get broken despite the trial. Amen? Father, thank you for Psalm 150. Father, it seems like a psalm that might not mean much to us, but Lord, when we really dig into it, when we really understand it, it's amazing. And Lord, it does teach us how to praise. It answers the question, where we praise you? Lord, because you're everywhere. Your presence is always with us. There's no shortage of opportunity. And we praise you because you're always displaying your mighty works and your excellent greatness and what you do and who you are. And Lord, we have no shortage of material to praise and brag on you about. And Lord, you tell us and you show us that you like praise from all kinds of ways. Lord, all kinds of instruments. But the voice is the instrument of choice, Lord, where the redeemed can cry out to our God and brag about how great you are. Lord, you've designed us to praise. Whether people are Christians or not, there's something in them that moves to brag about something or someone greater than them. That's our design. And Lord, the redeemed know where to direct our praise. And it will make us supremely satisfied. Lord, we can become immovable in our faith. Not because of our intestinal fortitude, but because we know who our great God is, and we live a life of bragging about him. May we learn to do that more and more. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.